0: Hear now the word of God from the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, Have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's the Apostle John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came into the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish with which you just bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, one hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, "Come and eat breakfast." Yet none of his disciples dared ask him, "Who are you?" Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these?" He said to him, "Yes, Lord, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord... What about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to us this afternoon. Amen. But let's turn our attention together on a portion of the passage that we just read. So John, the 21st and final chapter, focusing our attention on verses 20 through 23. And let's even narrow that focus even more. Verse 21 and 22, Peter, seeing him, seeing John the Apostle, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And then notice the response of our Savior. Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Well, we are seeking with God's help this afternoon to get a grasp of this particular passage of Scripture. And in order for us to do that, as is so often the case, we need to understand the context of John chapter 21. What's happening in this chapter? Well, the first thing we know that's happening in this chapter is that Jesus Christ has arisen from the dead. Jesus is risen. He was crucified, he was mocked and spat upon and beaten with rods and... They put the crown of thorns upon his head and they nailed him to the cross and they hoisted him up. He died on that cross to save his people from their sins. And he cried out, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. And he cried out, it is finished. And he cried out, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And so he died. His body was taken down from the cross. He was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And we know that on the third day, the angels came and the angel removed the stone from the mouth of the tomb. And Jesus Christ, having been raised by the power of God, having taken up his own life again, walked out of that tomb. And throughout the Gospel record, we see Jesus appearing to his disciples To testify of His resurrection, He does it numerous times. In fact, the time period between His resurrection and His ascension up into heaven was about 40 days. And so during that 40-day period, Jesus is appearing to His disciples. At one point, He appeared to 500 eyewitnesses. This was not done in the back corners. It was not done in the shadows. Jesus arose from the dead and testified in person of that historical fact of Christianity so Jesus is risen and here we find him appearing uh, it says the third time to his disciples and here they are by the sea of Galilee and Peter says I'm going fishing and some of the disciples joined with him many of these disciples had been fishermen that was their occupation before Jesus said follow me and they left behind their fishing nets and so on it's significant here that as Jesus appears to his disciples, he appears for the specific purpose of restoring Simon Peter. Many of you know the story that on the night Jesus was betrayed and put on trial, Peter followed along and went into the house, into the area where Jesus was being put on trial, and he sat by the fire in the courtyard. And he had boasted That even if all the other disciples abandoned Jesus, betrayed him, even if all the other disciples fled and left Jesus behind, he would not. He would stand with Jesus even to the death. So he was confident in himself very much. But Jesus said, in fact, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter's around the fire. Warming himself as Jesus is being falsely accused. And a servant girl comes up to him. And says, I recognize you. You were with Jesus. You're one of his disciples. One of his apostles. You have a Galilean accent. He's recognized in many ways and by various people. And before the rooster crows three times he says, I don't know the man. I don't even know what you're talking about. And it says that he cursed and he swore. And then Jesus looked at him. laid eyes on Peter who had just betrayed or just had, had just denied him three times. And the rooster crowed. And he looked at Peter. And Peter saw the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ whom he had denied. And he wept bitterly. And he went off into the night. And thankfully, as we saw in the Sabbath school this morning or this afternoon earlier, Uh, This was sorrow unto repentance. Peter was filled with grief over his sin, and he turned to the Lord in repentance. And so now Jesus is appearing to Peter in front of all the other disciples. And three times he asks Peter, do you love me? Peter had trusted in himself. Peter had thought that he loved Jesus more than all the other disciples. Jesus confronts him and says, Peter, are you still full of pride? you still think you love me more than these other disciples and Peter says yes I love you but he notice he doesn't say oh, I love you more than this person or that person, he's humbled and more could be said about this exchange but Peter humbles himself and says Lord at the end of the day as sinful as I am I know that you know my heart and you know that as sinful as I am I love you as weak as my love is, not what it should be, restore, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Peter is restored not only as a disciple of Jesus Christ, but also as an apostle, as a minister of the Gospel. He's sent back to shepherd the flock that Christ purchased with His own blood. Do you love me? That's a question that all of us need to be asking ourselves. Do we love Him? Well, thirdly, by way of context, we find Jesus then not only restoring Peter, but uttering a prophecy of perseverance. Jesus says that Peter, in fact, who had denied Jesus because he was afraid that just as Jesus was put to death, perhaps Peter's thinking, maybe I'm going to be put to death, so in the courtyard he's afraid, and he, in a cowardly way he denies Jesus. Well, Jesus now prophesies in John chapter 21 and uh, verse 18 most assuredly Peter I say to you when you were younger you girded yourself you put put on your clothes and you went where you wanted to go but when you're old you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish in other words he's saying Peter you're going to be taken and put to death for my name's sake This he spoke, John says, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God. Now, of course, there there are many aspects of this, but think of it this way. Jesus is reassuring Peter. Peter, by my grace, the next time you face the threat of persecution, the next time you're threatened, Peter, by faith, by grace, you're not going to deny me. You're not going to deny me, even if it means at the cost of your very life. Your hands will be stretched out. In church history, we're told that Peter was, was crucified, and he, he wanted to humble himself. He didn't want to die the same way Jesus did, so they supposedly they crucified him upside down. But the point is, Peter was going to die a martyr's death. And, and the significance is Peter now is reassured. I will persevere to the end. If you and I I came to realize that very soon a great persecution would break out in our country and people would go around threatening to kill anyone who would name the name of Christ and try to force them and say, deny the name of Christ or I'll blow you away, I think if, if you have an ounce of sincerity, you would admit that you would be afraid. That by God's grace, of course, you would be hopeful that God would enable you to face that challenge. But in your heart of hearts, you'd be thinking, Lord, help me, I'm so weak. Well, here Peter is reassured that when he faces that temptation again, his repentance will be real and he will not compromise. He will persevere to the end, even to the death of a martyr. Well, and lastly, in terms of the context, Jesus then, having reassured Peter, as He reassures every single believer here this morning, you will persevere. The work that God has begun in your life, that true conversion that He wrought in your heart, making you a new creature, He will give you the grace to keep walking with Christ. But fourthly, He says, follow Me. You see, when God reassures you that He has you in His hand. When He reassures you, as we sang earlier, that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When He reassures you that you are in His hand and no one can snatch you out of His hand, when He does that, He doesn't do it so that you can become lackadaisical and lazy and sit back and say, well, I'm guaranteed to go to heaven so I don't really need to put much effort into my Christian life. No, no, if you're a true Christian, that assurance of perseverance to the end, that exhorts you to follow Him all the more. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and they follow me. And so Jesus says, Peter, you're not just the shepherd of the sheep, you're the under-shepherd, and you need to follow me. Very significant that when Jesus first called Peter to be a disciple and to be an apostle, he came to the Sea of Galilee, this same sea, and he said to Peter, Follow me. And Peter followed. Later on, when Jesus revealed to Peter that he was going to have to die on the cross, and he wasn't going to, to build immediately build this earthly kingdom of wealth and power, but he was going to die the suffering death of the cross, Peter rebuked Jesus He wanted health and wealth and power and authority on earth. He didn't want suffering and death. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter is rebuking Jesus. Lord, may it never be unto you to go to the cross. And Jesus has to pull Peter aside and rebuke him and say, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Jesus is, is once again exhorting Peter and he exhorts every believer here, follow me. We fall into sin. We fall into patterns of conduct and thought and speech that, that dishonor God and we're called to repentance and the Lord restores us and forgives us and sets us back on the path of the Christian life follow me. That's what he's saying to us this morning. Now what I want us to focus on briefly is this, that right after Jesus exhorts Peter to follow me and he's essentially saying, Peter keep your eyes on me. Remember when Peter was out trying to walk on water on the Sea of Galilee, this same Sea of Galilee and he's walking toward Jesus on the water. What happened? He took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink And Jesus had to reach out his hand and save him. Peter had a tendency to look to Jesus, to follow Jesus, and then to get easily distracted by other things. And that's what happens here. Verse 20, then Peter, turning around. See, he's following Jesus. He's got his eyes on Jesus. Perhaps there was a time in your life when the Lord converted you. And you, you love Christ and you are looking to him and you are following him and then something else came into your life and you turn and you looked at and you got distracted. That's what happened here. He turns around, he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is a nickname for John the Apostle. Notice he saw John the Apostle. So Jesus tells Peter, you're going to die for your faith at some point and you need to follow me on that path of suffering and then Peter sees John following as well he sees that John also is a follower of Jesus verse 21 Peter seeing John says to Jesus this question this is a question perhaps many of us have have pondered or even spoken in one way or another in our lives perhaps the question that's running through your mind right now But Lord, what about this man? But Lord, what about this man? Well, I just want to say four brief things about this question. First, it's a foolish question. Notice what Peter's doing here. Peter's saying, okay, I'm a follower of Christ, and for me... That means, according to Jesus, that I'm going to die for the faith. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be stretched out in some way, the text says, and I'm going to be killed. My blood is going to be shed for my faith in Christ. That is the cost of following Jesus. That is the cost of being a disciple. I must, I must give up my life. I must deny myself and endure great suffering. Christ because I'm a follower but then he says wait there's John he's a follower too and I wonder what, what the cost will be for John is it the case that John is also going to have to die a painful death for the name of Christ or perhaps is John in his relationship to Christ going to make it to heaven at a cheaper price So he's comparing himself to John the Apostle I'm going to die a martyr. I wonder if John, following Christ, is going to die that same kind of death. And, and and if he's not going to die that painful death, well then, Lord, what about this man? What about this? He's comparing himself to John. And it's so easy for us to compare ourselves to other people. The Apostle Paul, elsewhere in his letters, says those who compare themselves with other people are not wise. Those who measure themselves by themselves, those who compare themselves with those around them, 2 Corinthians 10-12, are without understanding. It's so easy for us. We profess to be Christ's disciples. We come into His kingdom, and we're excited about it, and yet we experience, perhaps, great affliction great challenges, great suffering for our faith in Christ, and we look around at somebody else in the church, and we say, but Lord, look at what I'm going through, but Lord, what about this man? What about this other person? They seem to have it so easy. The cost of their discipleship, the cost of following you, it seems to be so expensive and painful and difficult. For me, my path to heaven is so hard. But but, Lord, what about this man? What about him? What about her? Is it the case, Lord, that this man has it easier than I do? That perhaps you see someone in the church and you say, look at the sins that he's getting away with. Look at the sins that she's getting away with and, and look, at, look at all the efforts I'm putting in to put to death the sins in my life. Lord, what about this man? You see, it's so easy for us in the church to focus on other people. We hear a sermon. Pastor Frank preaches the Word of God and he directs applications into our lives. And it's so easy for us to say, but, but what about this person? Well, I hope she heard that sermon this morning, or this afternoon. I hope he was in church this week. I hope he heard it because... This brother, this sister, they need to hear this. No, my friend, you need to hear it. Jesus says, you follow me. Forget about John. Forget about your brother or your sister. Forget about, you know, we want to invite people to church. But when you invite someone to church, don't be thinking about what the sermon's saying to them. Think about what God is saying to you. And I have to preach this to myself before I preach it to you. Because... The Bible speaks to us directly. It's such a foolish question, but Lord, what about this man? We're so tempted in our culture today to compare our situation to somebody else's situation. And so often, you know, you think of a young child getting ready to go back to school and his mother uh, somehow is able to buy that child a brand new pair of sneakers. And that child is so excited to be able to wear, so honored to wear that new pair of sneakers to school. But then he gets to school with the new pair of sneakers and he sees all his friends have new pairs of sneakers as well and, and theirs just maybe more expensive or more popular shoes or something. And by the end of the day in comparing something that at first he had been totally content with and excited about and thought, what a privilege to have these shoes. By the end of the day, he comes home and he says, but mom, what about these shoes and what about this friend? And my friends, that is the path to misery in your life. Stop comparing yourself to other people. People do this. Politicians, they want you to compare yourself to other people in society and then the politician is going to swoop in and make your life better and make their life worse and try to even everything out. But what about this man? What about, no, don't think about that. Do you know that many of the modern conveniences we have, just the fact that we have uh, running water and a toilet that works in this building, King Solomon would have given everything to have some of these uh, modern uh, enjoyments that we have as Americans, no matter what, what, where we come from and what our background, what our situation may be. But Lord, what about this man? Forget about this man. Think about the goodness of God to you. Not just now, but for all eternity. You know, there's coming a day of reckoning. Jesus will even everything out. We're told that at the last day, Jesus will come, and those who have been given one talent will be judged based on what they did with what they received. Those who receive five talents or ten talents, everybody will be judged by the opportunities, the Uh, blessings, the advantages that they had in this life and Jesus on that day for every believer will say to whom much is given much is required and I would dare say on that day we will not wish that we had more advantages in this life because more will be required of us we ought to be thinking about what we do with what Jesus gives us, not about what we think we should have and uh, that's why one of, the, one of the founders of the movement called communism, Karl Marx, once said that religion is the opiate, the drug of the masses. He hated Christianity because Christianity made people content. It caused people to love their neighbor and be content no matter what station of life they found themselves in because they knew that in, through faith in Jesus Christ they had an eternal weight of glory waiting for them, and that no matter what advantages they had or had not, they would be rewarded based upon how they used what they had, not what they didn't have. But Lord, what about this man? It's a foolish question. (coughs) Secondly, it's a, a purely speculative question. It's an unnecessary question. It's an impractical question it's just an exercise in vain curiosity. Why does Peter need to know what's going to happen to John? He doesn't. Is it necessary for Peter's Christian life to know all the details about every other situation? No, it is not necessary. Jesus says, what is that to you? He says, Peter, I've told you what's going to happen to you because that's going to encourage your Christian life. But you don't need to know, my friends, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. He has chosen not to reveal so many things. He has chosen not to answer all of our curious questions. We say, well, when Lazarus died and he was in the grave, and then Jesus raised him up from the grave four days later, where was he in between? Did did he go to heaven? And if so, when he went to heaven, was he without sin? As we know, believers are in heaven. Then he came back to his body. Was he without sin the rest of his life? Well, no, he probably was a sinner. There are some tough questions out there. And and so often we want to ask all these these questions that have nothing to do with our Christian life. People ask me the question when I preach at the rescue mission. They say, uh, who was Cain's Wife? How did he find a wife? And, and I have an answer to that, but the fact is, that's not the question you need to be asking this morning. The, the disciples had irrelevant questions. For instance, they asked Jesus questions like, Will there be few that are saved? Will there be few people saved and most people go to hell? Or, or Jesus doesn't answer that question. He says, You strive to enter the narrow way that leads to life. You strive to enter. Forget about the statistics. How about you? Make sure that you have eternal life. Jesus is always turning the disciples back to the fact that true biblical doctrine is practical. We heard the scripture passage from Second Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration. Why did the Holy Spirit give us the Bible? Was it so that we could be Thoroughly equipped as theological experts on every speculative question? No. It was to furnish us and equip us for what? Every good work. God has revealed his truth to us to set us free from sin, to live for him, to do good works. Jesus said one time to his disciples, you know this, blessed are you if you do it. My friend, you may not be a theological expert, join the club, I'm not either, but the fact is this, you need to use the knowledge you have to glorify God. If you know something is wrong, you know the Bible says this is wrong, you need to respond by repenting of that sin. Forget about all of the questions. You know, there was one person who asked St. Augustine, the great church father in the past, asked him, Before God made the world, what was he doing for all that time? And St. Augustine responded directly to this student. He said he was creating a hell for people who who ask foolish questions like that, you see. Focus on what God has called you to do. You follow me. And... You'll find, my friends, that the more you do that, the more the less you'll be interested in all the, the controversial topics of our day. Uh, my own congregation posts my sermons on the Internet, and uh, they can track how many downloads that people uh, receive, how many people download these sermons. And if I wanted to get the most downloads, what do you think I would entitle my sermon? Antichrist or you know, all about Donald Trump or, you know, something controversial, something that's, people are going to click on that. People are going to, but if I say how to improve your prayer life or how to love people, you know, you might get a few accidental downloads. But you see, people today are not interested in the most basic question, how can I have eternal life? How can I glorify God? How can I follow Christ? Instead, they're asking, but Lord, what about this man? You may be here today, and you don't have eternal life. You have not yet put your trust in Christ and surrendered your life 24-7 to the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of those sins that I know and you know and everybody knows you need to repent. You haven't done it. And and yet you're thinking about questions like, well, there's someone out in... Uh, in East Asia or some foreign country that's never heard the gospel. Before I start to think about my own salvation, I want to see I want to get an answer to the question, what happens if that man out there in East Asia never hears the gospel? Does he go to heaven or hell? But Lord, what about this man? There are answers to those questions, but today I'm saying and Jesus is saying, you follow me. You've heard the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins, to give you a new heart and a new start, and to enable you to walk in His ways and and enter through the gates of heaven. Will you follow Him? The one thing I love about the rich young ruler, he had a lot wrong, but he came to Jesus, and he said, Lord, what must I do so that I can inherit eternal life? Forget about this man and this man examine yourself don't walk out of these doors today with sin in your pocket with doubts and with unbelief surrender them to the Lord today so that you can make your calling and election sure and know that you have eternal life today don't walk out of this building without knowing that you have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ it's a speculative question it's a distracting question and, and I don't have much more to say because I've already basically made this point and I'm hastening to my end here but, but it's a distracting question notice Jesus using that most powerful three letter word other than I guess the word God most powerful three letter word in the English language you that's what he says he's not, he's not speaking to some hypothetical situation he's talking to Peter and he says you Do you love me? you follow me? Is that how you listen to sermons? Is that how you read your Bible every morning? Turning to your Bible and saying, Lord, speak to me so that I can believe, so that I can obey. Do you love me? Will you follow me? When you go on an airplane... uh, they always tell you when the flight if you pay attention, I often am daydreaming or something, but when the flight attendant is telling you how to use all these contraptions to, to protect you um, in case the, the plane has an emergency landing, they always say this about the oxygen mask. That they say secure your own mask before assisting others. Before you concern yourself with, with all the problems in this world and all the people in your life that, that need have another thing coming and need, you know, are you saved? Are you repenting? Are you walking with Christ? Well, finally, it's an irrelevant question. It's an irreverent, excuse me, an irreverent question. Jesus points this out. He says, Peter, um, stay in your lane, Peter. Stay in your lane. This is none of your business. What is it to you if I choose to, to cause John... To, to be elected mayor. What is it to you, John, no matter what my plan is for, or Peter, but no matter what my plan is for John, that's my plan and that's my business. My friends, we ought never to question God's plan. If we look at the world and we say things are unfair, we look at the church and we see other people seeming to have a better situation than we have, we need to trust that God knows what He's doing. That Jesus is working these things together for good. You say, but Jesus keeps putting weight on my shoulders. There's burdens that I'm facing that nobody else is facing that's around me. And to that I say, there's a promise in the Word of God. He will not put more on your shoulders than you can bear. And if He's put more weight on the barbell, well, that's because He believes that by his grace you will you will strengthen those spiritual muscles and by his grace through suffering you will conquer you will be more than a conqueror through him who loved you and it will make the joys of heaven all that much sweeter it's irreverent for peter to say lord what about this man lord what are you doing here so that i can evaluate whether i think you're being fair whether I think your plan is right. My friends, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign over every detail of your life. He knows best. Rather than fight against Him and complain and murmur against Him, I would urge you this morning to simply surrender yourself into the hands of your faithful creator. That's what Peter writes later in one of his letters. Don't be irreverent. Submit to the sovereignty of God. And Jesus in closing says to you follow me follow me what does that mean for you this this afternoon what does it mean to follow him Well, when, when Jesus came to Matthew the tax collector who was living a life of sin he said Matthew follow me follow me what did Matthew do when Jesus commanded him to follow me what did he do He went, and what did he do? Did he he take his tax business with him, his dishonesty, his sin, his immoral lifestyle? Did he do that? No. He left it behind. And I am calling you in the name of Jesus Christ here today. If there is something in your life that you know, you know the Scriptures, you know this thing in your life is something that Jesus wants you to leave behind. It's something that's inconsistent with His work in your life. Something that dishonors Him. Something that you know. You know if you read through this book, you'd feel convicted. I need to get rid of this. I need to take certain steps of action in obedience to Jesus Christ. And He's saying, come on, follow me. I will help you. I will lead and guide you every step of the way. Do not fear, but repent turn away from that sin, you will never miss it. It will be in the rear view mirror. You will, ne- you, you will not look back with regret every time I've forsaken a sin. My friends, perhaps I've been afraid oh, I'm going to miss. Nope. In the rearview mirror. Full speed ahead. You follow me. Let's pray. Gracious, please stand to, to pray. Please stand to pray. Gracious Heavenly Father we thank you that though we do at times and some of us more than others experience affliction and pain and suffering in this life and there are many unpleasant things that you have chosen to bring in our lives and perhaps we don't have all the answers to why you've done it but we know that You work all things together for the good of those who love You and who are called according to Your purpose. O Lord, enable us from the heart to love You. You know all things, Lord Jesus. You know that we love You. We pray that we would be called according to Your purpose here this morning to forsake our sins to exchange what is sinful and destructive for that which gives us an eternal weight of glory. That heavenly city that we await when we, having seen through a glass darkly, will one day open our eyes in heaven and see our Lord Jesus Christ face to face. We pray, Jesus, help us, enable us, give us a heart to follow You in Your name.